Hey everyone! Did you know Neurodiverging now offers a free support group for autistic parents, monthly free live classes on neurodivergence-related topics, and a coaching corner twice a month on Instagram? Learn more and sign up for all of our learning opportunities at neurodiverging.com slash upcoming events. Every day, scientists are learning more and more about how human brains work and how many of us don't fit into the old-fashioned understanding of how brains should work. But a lot of ideas about parenting and familial relationships still need to catch up to the reality of human variation. Neurological differences are natural, profoundly valuable parts of being in a community together and in being part of a family. Whoever you are, wherever you are in your journey, I am here to explore with you. We are all in this together. Welcome to Neurodiverging. Welcome back to the Neurodiverging Podcast. I'm Danielle Sullivan, and I'm your host. Today, I'm so pleased to be bringing to you this interview with Debbie Godfrey, who's a positive parenting guru. She's a certified parenting educator, bringing over 30 years of expertise in the parenting education field. She's helped parents around the world for three decades (laughs) um, solve problems with their families and their children and improve behavior in a positive, gentle way. She served tons of organizations throughout the country, including the Conejo Valley Substance Abuse Prevention Authority, Child Development Resources of Ventura County, the California State Foster Parent Association, the Southern California Mother of Twins, and so many other places. She's conducted teacher training, she conducts parent education, and uh, just does a lot of fantastic work in her field. So today we're sitting down, we're talking to Debbie about some ways that we can improve our parenting in the home with neurodivergent kiddos. So what is positive parenting? How does it support child esteem? Why don't we need punishment? And then I took some listener questions from Instagram, from the mailing list. Thank you to those who contributed. And we're asking Debbie your questions about how to handle defiance, quote unquote, um, aggression, how to co-parent, etc. There's some really, really good stuff in here. I so enjoyed this conversation and I hope you enjoy it too. One content note for you is that we do discuss corporal punishment briefly uh, in around the 40th minute. So uh, around minute 40, if you uh, do not want to listen to that section, I would encourage you to either exit out or skip ahead a little bit. In that, For context, we're just talking about Debbie's experience raising her kids when she was much younger. Um, and so when it was much more common to see authoritarian parenting and corporal punishment as a common parenting method. So that's at minute 40. Pop out of there if you feel concerned about it. Otherwise, I hope you really enjoy this episode. I learned so much from Debbie. I'm really excited to share it with you. Here we go. Welcome, Debbie, to the Neurodivergent Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Oh, and thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. This is going to be super fun. I'm so excited to have you. So I know you're a positive parenting coach and you've done so much work on positive parenting. And I've talked about it before in this podcast a little bit, how much that turned my life around and my relationship with my kids around. So I would, I'm just very excited to talk to you. 
um, could you tell us a little bit from your perspective about the basics of parenting, positive parenting, excuse me, what it means and what it encompasses? Yes, thank you. To me, it means parenting in a way that helps our kids learn, but doesn't break their spirit. Like that's the essence of it to me. Mm -hmm. And mainly what that involves is not using punishment, but using discipline. And they're two distinct things. Punishment is a form of discipline, but discipline involves a lot of other things than punishment. And so using ways that teach kids to be more responsible, respectful, do the right thing, all of those can be accomplished without punishing them. And one of the reasons for that is the effects of punishment. And often short-term punishment can be effective in correcting a misbehavior, but it almost always hurts the child's self-esteem. And in the long run, it may actually not elicit the, what we are desiring, which is respect, responsibility, and those sorts of things. Yeah, thank you so much. I know that I have an ADHD daughter and one of the uh, traits that's most common with her is this like very high energy, high willed and impulsivity. And that breaking the spirit was something we struggled with a lot because we did not want to break her spirit, but uh, we're often very challenged by how impulsive she can be and how um, just not knowing what else to do to kind of get in front of that. So yeah, that seems like a big piece of the puzzle for me. <laughs> well, that it, it is. And the the challenge with ADHD and some other diagnosis too oh yeah are the the thing itself so the ADHD children and and adults because you know usually a lot of times this goes into adulthood or people get diagnosed in adulthood mm -hmm. any of us that get diagnosed with this we can learn and sometimes naturally adapt and learn coping mechanisms to to be able to function and succeed with the ADD and ADHD. Where the damage comes in is the secondary self-esteem damage that happens just as a result of what you're saying. When we, their caregivers, parents, teachers, get to the end of our rope and just can't deal with all that energy, all that lack of focus, <laughs> however it's manifesting itself. And we just, we get tired and we snap. And the thing is, I think, Oh, with all of these as well, when we're talking about the neurodivergent child, we have to parent even better. <laughs> like, yeah, that's been like, my experience. Yeah. yeah. Like, like all of us need a baseline for parenting. And that's what I teach. The positive parenting to me is just a super good baseline of parenting. Like let's all learn how to communicate, how to discipline kids without punishing them by correcting their behavior, redirecting their behavior, teach them to be responsible and respectful and do the right thing and build their self-esteem while we're doing it. And I love that. It's so clean because the old way you know, you spank them or whatever, however you punish them, like, and I'm doing this for your own good. And you, you know, you punish them and then you have to hug them and say, I'm doing this because I love you. And it's a very messy and complicated form of discipline that child children have a hard time processing. So wait, so you like, you hit me, but you love me. How do I make this sense of this in my world? And so they often, their, the coping mechanisms to most forms of punishment are very dysfunctional later in life. So they can learn a coping, a way to cope with it when they're young and to adapt to the punishments, but they'll often take mistaken beliefs into their adulthood that'll affect their, their adult relationships. 
Now, when we're talking about what we're talking about and kids that are even more challenging, the behaviors become even more challenging, we have to be 10 times more patient than a parent of an average kid would. We have to be mm -hmm. 10 times more consistent than the parent of an average kid would. So I wouldn't even say that there's a lot of parenting tools that you need to learn differently. Although again, it depends on what the child is presented with, but for the most part, we just have to get better at what we already know to do. And there's a few exceptions of that. And we can talk about that further along in the podcast. <laughs> That's thank you. I also, when you were just talking, was thinking about how if you're raised with the sort of, like you said, the older style of parenting and discipline that, um, then when you, when it's your turn to parent, like you said, you brought all of these not particularly great parenting approaches with you. Um, and you have to, so you're not only trying to be a better parent for your kids, but you're also trying to relearn for yourself how you should have been parented. And so many of us, especially those identified as adults, have to almost reparent ourselves and say, oh, I should have, I should have boundaries around this thing, but I didn't learn them when I was a kid. Or, um, you know, just basic yeah, uh, whether violence is okay in certain circumstances or not, you know, but I didn't learn it when I was a kid. So it can be, like you say, 10 times, you have to be 10 times better at everything for your child, but yeah. you also have to be doing it for yourself as well, which is like this double challenge, I feel like for neurodivergent adults who are also parenting neurodivergent kids. So, oh yeah, so much it makes so. it even more important to get those good basics in. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's, that's what I love about what I do. And when I started teaching 30 years ago, about half of the parents who would come to my classes had kids that they thought were ADD or ADHD. That was the, the strongest, the, the most common diagnosis back then. And of course that's diversified to a lot of other things these days, but that was super common. And what would happen is the parents would come and they would learn some different parenting tools, positive parenting, positive discipline, you know, ways to build your children's self-esteem while at the same time correcting their misbehavior. So yeah, they, they come and then they, about half of them would find out their child actually wasn't, it, it, it was a mismatch of their parenting style. So the way they were parenting was causing their kids to be more rebellious. The way they were parenting was causing their kids not to listen. When they learned better parenting skills and tools, the kids would be much better. They would improve enormously. Now, the other half had kids that were very obviously physiologically had the ADHD or ADD mm -hmm. or, or whatever it is. And what they would find is using positive parenting tools lessens the amount of stress, uh, gives us more of an ability to manage the behaviors, makes us feel more competent and capable. And so either way, it was helpful, whether it ruled out the, the behaviors or whether it helps mitigate some of the behaviors. And I think that's why I always feel it's so important for all parents and especially parents of that have children that they think has some, some kind of diagnosis because of their behavior to take a basic parenting class and to get a wider range of skills and tools to give yourself to make sure to rule out your parenting style as yeah. incompatible with your child's personality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, because I think for me, when I was a new parent and I had my first son was autistic and then I had an ADHD or right. So they're very different people and they require different parenting approaches to some degree, though we're 
positive parenting for both of them. But um, a lot of my daughter's acting out was because of how I was parenting her and was totally in, in retrospect, a very reasonable reaction on her part, especially at her age to what I was doing. Um, and once I got some more skills under my belt in terms of how to parent her, we both, I mean, her, her confidence improved, which meant she could communicate better. Um, she could tell me when she was having an issue as opposed to just having the behavior and acting out and everything, even though I wouldn't say the ADHD quote unquote improved or the, the traits or symptoms associated with it improved, the way we were all able to handle it together was drastically better, like very quickly too, I would say for considering how bad I felt like things were going <laughs> earlier on, right. you know, within like a month or so of implementing some changes, we had a totally different kind of lifestyle and communication system with each other and felt a lot closer as a family. And it was just a huge difference. So yeah. Yeah. And it's I'm really fascinating. That, yeah. That drastic change so often. And so that's why for me, from my standpoint and what I do, I don't worry about the diagnosis. So yeah. parents come to me with a vast majority of things and everything that I've learned about any children that are neurodivergent has come from parents who've taken my class. So yeah. I don't specialize in any of that, mm -hmm. um, but I've learned from parents and I've learned a few things that are beneficial, I think, to any parents that have children like that. And the first one is that when I'm teaching my class, I do almost everything is around teaching children to be external or internally motivated instead of mm -hmm. externally motivated. So a lot of things about giving responsibility and ex having expectations. And when you have a child with, especially something like ADHD, where impulse control and where focus can be a challenge, those kids need external motivation. They need us to coach them and support them. Mm -hmm. And so I found the exact opposite is true for, for kids. Most kids with certain diagnoses is, is that put aside everything that I say <laughs> about teaching them to be self-reliant. Mm -hmm. These children need you and you coaching them. And the way you can tell, and it's so interesting to me, when you have a child that doesn't have something, a special need, mm -hmm. when you... A, when you give too much, meaning in this case, if you're doing too much external motivation, their behavior gets worse. So yes. they, they're like, I'm not going to do it. And you, you know, you can't make me or they get an attitude. And it's because, because a quote, normal child is designed to become more responsible and self-reliant. Mm -hmm. And so if we're doing too much, they're going to react behaviorally with bad yes. behavior. Okay. When you have a child who has a diagnosis and who needs that extra help, when you help and support that child, they're grateful. Mm -hmm. They do better. Yeah. They're, they're, they're so like relieved that you're willing to get in their court and support them. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's an, like a, almost an instant way you can actually gauge the extent to which your child has something, doesn't have something. Yeah. Like, when you're, when you're attempting to internally versus externally motivate them and their response to you doing that when they yeah. really need help, those ones that really need help. If you're trying to let go too much, they fall apart. Mm -hmm. they, just, they, they can't do well and they need us. And so you have to know your child and understand your child and be willing to provide what each child needs. Yeah. That's really insightful. Cause I know, especially like as a life coach, a lot of my work is 
helping people with that internal motivation and finding it and keeping it. And we know that external motivation doesn't work as well in terms of keeping people going. But for children with any kind of executive functioning issue whatsoever, they need external supports. Like it doesn't, and, and adults too, I should say, if you're an adult listening to this, um, I, I think adults are often sort of um, trained away from, from um, or not as open to receiving external supports and external motivation, but, you know, sometimes you need to bribe yourself <laughs> with a fun trip or a plant or, you know, a, 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 an ice cream cone from your play, favorite place or something. And that's kind of reasonable for it's some of our okay. brains, you know, and it's okay. Yeah. So it's the same for the kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So if Thank I was, you so much. Yeah. <laughs> if I was having this conversation with kids, parents of kids that didn't have anything, we wouldn't be yeah. having this conversation and letting yeah. them be okay. It's because yeah. there are exceptions to mm -hmm. the status quo that we can do this and adapt. Absolutely. Yeah. Neurotypical people in general, I think have tend to have there are, of course, exceptions to every case, but tend to have better executive functioning skills, tend not to need as much external support um, with those, especially. And so that extrinsic motivation of the rewards or the sticker charts or whatever are just not as not as important and not as helpful. Yeah. So. And backfire. <laughs> yeah. And backfire a lot. Yeah, for sure. Which is another way you can tell. So when, you know, if a child mm -hmm. won't do anything unless they, they, they want to know what's in it for them, like, what am I going to get? How much are you going to pay me? <laughs> you know, that that system is backfired. Yeah. Yeah. They're not doing it for themselves anymore. Right. So. <laughs> well, I'd love to use this time if it's okay with you. I had um, put out a call to some of my followers on Instagram and on my mailing list and stuff and said, I am interviewing this amazing person. And what parenting challenges are you having that positive parenting can maybe help with? And I pulled a couple of together um, and I was hoping I could throw some at you <laughs> and uh, get some, <laughs> get some feedback. Um, so I, I appreciate it very much. Um, I, I kind of grouped them into a couple of different chunks because a lot of people reported similar issues, which I guess is not surprising. Um, but the first one that came up a lot was that um, a lot of parents have trouble with what's usually termed defiance, which is a word I kind of hate. But basically, when the child is not cooperating with a parent or is not doing, you know, doing what you say. Um, and how can we help kids who are quote unquote defiant? And how can we kind of get back on the same team with them? Especially, I, th I feel like the defiance, if your kid is constantly not doing what you ask and putting up a big fight and a struggle every single time you ask even for simple things, as a parent, it can really sort of heighten your anxiety and your stress level and make you more likely to sort of break or like lash out in anger or in stress instead of responding in a more positive manner. So how can we handle that as parents? And what should we do about that kind of defiant response? I know it's a big question. <laughs> it is, and, you know, and, and one thing I, I can, I do really well is answer specific questions with mm -hmm. specific ideas. And <laughs> so when it's general like this, I get to give general, not quite as yeah. ideas. And so we can talk a little bit. If you can think, if you think of a specific yeah. example, feel free <laughs> to throw it out and we can pin this down a little better. In general, what you're talking about is a misbehavior that we call a power struggle. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's four kinds of misbehavior. There's attention, which is when you say to a child, Hey, can you pick up your toys? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get in a minute, mom. And they're just, they are just not doing it, but not in a defiant way. They're just like mm -hmm. distracting and cute and silly. It's like, come on, honey, come on. No, no, no. I mean, they don't say no. 
It's like, yeah, yeah, I'll get it. And, oh, you're so pretty today, mom. And they're just, (laughs) you know, they're hard. It's hard all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But they're not doing it because their mistaken belief is if I do what you say, you're not going to be engaged with me, which means I'm not going to be loved. And so that's why they've mistakenly come to believe if I, if I, if I handle whatever you said that you want me to do, if I do it, you're not going to pay me any more attention to me. And that's why we call this the goal of attention, because if I can keep you busy with me, if I can keep you engaged with me, then I know I'm loved. Mm-hmm. All right. So another behavior is the goal of power. And the way we know if it's that goal is that we'll feel challenged and provoked by our child's behavior. And that's the one that you're basically yes. talking about for the <laughs> most part. And let me just go over the two others briefly, because one of the things that happens with these is each of these goals has its own specific corrective measure and they're not interchangeable. So what mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about with power struggles won't work if your child's in the goal of attention. So if they're just being cute and distracting and annoying, mm-hmm. that's not going to work with what we're going to talk about. The other goal is called revenge. And this is the goal where when your child's misbehaving in a way where you feel hurt, like you want to hurt them back. So they're Mm -hmm. saying hurtful things, they're doing hurtful things. And that child's mistaken belief is I'm hurt and I'm going to make you feel hurt the way I feel hurt. I'm going to take you down with me. So this is mean, hurtful, hateful behaviors. And you're, you need to distinguish when your child's in the act of defiance, are they being defiant? Am I feeling provoked and challenged or are they being hurtful and hateful? Am I feeling hurt? Like I'm going to hurt them back Mm -hmm. because those two things have vastly different responses that will will redirect the behaviors. And the final one is called the goal of inadequacy or avoidance. So this is the one where you tell your child to go pick up their toys and they're like, I'm so tired, I can't do it. And they whine. I know that one. Okay, yeah, they're still <laughs> avoiding. And so that's another mistaken goal. And again, the, each of these four mistaken goals has its own set of corrective measures. And this is a big part of what I teach in the positive mm-hmm. parenting is how to how to identify each of these goals when your children is do, when your child's doing them and then how to correct each of them in the moment. And again, what we're talking about today, Danielle, with these, with the parents of neurodivergent kids is you've got to learn this and do it better. <laughs> yeah. Do it better than everybody else. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So with power struggles, when a child's being defiant, the first thing to understand is to look at that child more deeply than the behavior that's triggering you right now. And look and see that inside this child, this child feels powerless. So the child that's being defiant and deliberately disobedient inside, they don't know how to feel powerful in an appropriate way. Mm -hmm. But I've learned, I'm speaking from the child's viewpoint, I feel powerless. But I've learned if I defy you, if I don't do what you say and you get all crazy at me, I feel powerful. So I've mistakenly come to believe that I could feel powerful by defying you. This is unconscious. And I think with neurodivergent children, it's even more unconscious. Yeah, I would agree. (laughs) Right. And so we can't blame them for this. What they're doing is responding both to their environment and also to their physiology. So it's, it's, a, it's an understanding. The first step to redirect a power struggle is to just look more deeply at your child, take a deep breath. Oh, I'm feeling, you know, that I'm feeling triggered. I'm feeling provoked and challenged by this. This, my child's in the goal of power right now and they're feeling powerless inside. So I need to be even more compassionate. 
the first thing we want to do as a parent in these situations is strip their power away. Like, don't you talk to me like that? Don't you do that? The first instinct is to, to strip their power away, which is making it even worse by yeah. taking the power away of the child who's feeling powerless inside. They get even more defiant. They're going to prove to us that in fact they can boss <laughs> us or they can control the situation or whatever. So, so stripping power away from them is super ineffective in this case. So one of the things that you want to think about is how can I give the child appropriate power right now? So you have to look at the specific situation and that's where, yes. where we go. And, you know, is like, are you fighting over teeth brushing? Mm -hmm. And it's like, how can I give my child more power over this teeth brushing? You know, I notice we're fighting all the time over teeth brushing. How about if you become in charge of being the toothbrush cop? Mm -hmm. And when it's time to brush your teeth, you make sure everybody gets their teeth brushed. And so they have to be in charge of making sure everybody gets their teeth fresh. And they tend to do better with that because now they have a job. Teachers are notorious for being really good at this. They'll take Teachers that. Are really good at that. Yeah. yeah. They'll take the child who's dominating in the classroom and they'll give them a job or something mm -hmm. to be in charge of. And the child does so much better and quits distracting the whole learning environment. Mm -hmm. So that's one idea for getting yeah. out of power struggles. There's, there's about 10 different things that we could talk about. And the, and the thing to know is that when you're in, when you're interacting with a child who's defiant, that there's something that you can figure out to a way to help redirect this child, to feel powerful without defying you yes. to be, to be able to contribute without disrupting the whole environment. Mm. And again, you have to be more patient because if you have a child who's triggered and is already sensitive in whatever way they might be, they might need some physical help, you know, that you might need to run around. You might need to somehow, you know, hold them and, and be okay with not redirecting it right at this moment. Like, Oh, it looks like, you know, you're spinning and like, we need to, we need to just connect and everything is okay. And I'm here to support you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think parents, um, one thing I had to learn, I shouldn't speak for everything, everybody, but one thing I really had to learn when I was struggling with that kind of behavior with my kiddo was slowing everything down because a lot of times in my specific situation, her defiance would crop up while we were trying to do something else. And I was perhaps rushing her or perhaps just highly focused on say going to the grocery store or picking up a, the other child at school or trying to go do something. And so I was focused on, let's get the shoes on, let's get the socks on. And I was making demands on her to go do the thing. And in my brain, I had you know told her ahead of time, prepped her, and it was reasonable to have this expectation that we'd go pick up her brother at school at this time. But I'm sure in her brain, and she was like two or three too. So, uh, you know, a lot of stuff wasn't developed yet. Um, but in her brain, I was kind of suddenly and out of the blue, even though I thought I'd prepped her, she'd forgotten because she was two. So suddenly out of the blue, I'm like, do this, do this, do this, we got to go. And I'm not really giving her a lot of um, kind of focused attention or positive affect or any of those kinds of things that I now know to do. And I probably also didn't give her enough of a warning so that she could like get her brain, <laughs> you know, in the space she needed to get it. So it makes a lot of sense to me in retrospect that she would have kind of seen that as a, oh, mom wants me to do all these things. I, I need to take some of this back. I need to, you know, regroup and take some power back from the situation. So, 
yeah it's funny how in retrospect it makes a lot more sense once you kind of get a sense of what's going on in the kiddo's head yeah it's not great the time it was just the greatest parents by the time we finished (laughs) i know (laughs) you wish you could just just yeah send it to other people in the really tele- telepathically just like send you everything I know about yeah yeah well it makes a big you difference make a great, you great, make a great point too uh, about age appropriate expectations mm-hmm. and that we have a regular developmental age appropriate expectations but then in this case we need to have a you know diagnosis specific appropriate mm-hmm. expectation like understanding yeah. the limitations of what my child's dealing with with their mm-hmm. physiology uh, you know, my expectations have to be adjusted appropriately. Yes. And yes. I think that's the specific knowledge that parents need to get through mm-hmm. training and support and, 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 you know, podcasts like this, I'm sure you're going over those specific things um, intermittently with different guests and things like that. It's <laughs> so important for people mm-hmm. to get that those hands-on tools and understanding of with a child who's ADHD or with a child who's has sensory processing disorder, like how, what do I do in these circumstances? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No parent is given a manual when you get to the hospital and us, I think even less it's, um, there's not a lot of, (laughs) there's not a lot of good research or anything to work with. Well, thanks. That's super helpful. And then I think, let's see, the next one I had was, oh, that sort of similar, that a, a bunch of parents mentioned that they struggled with uh, aggression from their kiddos. So especially once they get physically bigger and um, a lot of kids, you know, hit even eight or nine years old and are suddenly kind of big and tall and strong. And um, if those children are struggling with throwing things or hitting or pushing or biting, how can families intervene to reduce aggression in a way that's you know positive and validating for that child but also safe for the family yes and I think that that's yeah it's something that uh that comes up often with Mm -hmm. kids in various environments and sometimes it might be one child in a home or in this case with you know different things and one one of the things is to learn ways for children to process in this case anger Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's sadness, whatever the discouragement is. So how do we process this kind of things? And um, I actually have a workshop that I do of handling ag- aggressive children. Oh, wonderful. So, yeah. So we that. have, like, a whole bunch, I'll just give you a couple of the tips out of there. <laughs> Thank you. And, you know, one of the things is to teach the children to growl instead of yelling and screaming because yelling and screaming triggers us like nothing else. Oh, yes. And so, and a growl coming from deep within is a great way to move emotions through the body. And so you teach them to growl like a bear or however you want to do this. But it's like, as soon as they start yelling and screaming and getting out of control, it's like growl and, and you could do it with them and, you know, get, help them to get it really low in their body. And it's, it, there's a physiological assistant to the child when you can teach them to growl. And it's so much less triggering for us yes. to have a child <laughs> growling will almost make us chuckle. Right. Mm-hmm. And when there is where, when they're screaming in our face, we get triggered and we're going to yell at them or, you know, just have all these reactions. So that's one, one idea is to, is to um, teach them that another one that I love. And if your child's capable is water balloons, you go and fill up a bunch of water balloons and you take your child outside and you, and I would, I do this with them. You pick up these water balloons and you throw them against a wall and you mm-hmm. splat them against a wall. And when a child's angry, like that physical of throwing their arm 
and then splatting the water balloon against a wall, it releases a ton of anger and it's really helpful. And there's even a, I know we're not seeing this, I'm, I'm having to do this verbally, but like okay. throwing our arms out and throwing our hands out, like it's, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a way to get anger out of our bodies. Mm -hmm. And so teaching your child, like when you get angry, here's what you can do. And, you know, this goes back to some, some of these kids won't be able to do this, but some kids can learn to scream in a pillow. I mean, this is one of the classic ways therapists do this, right? <laughs> is screaming in a pillow. Another is with, if we're getting, we're talking about anger mainly, I think here is to draw with a red crayon. So give your child a red crayon and a piece of paper and just scribbling and drawing and whatever they want to do with red tends to move that anger from the body out onto the paper mm -hmm. and help them really um, start moving, moving through that anger. So you want to think about what are non-hurtful ways for this child to move this emotion through their body and through their being. And how can I help them label that emotion with words? And so helping them go, wow, it looks like you're feeling really angry right now. Here's a couple of different ideas. We can go throw water balloons against the wall. Here's a red crayon. You can draw on the piece of paper. Here's a pillow we can scream in. You know, what, what, what feels like the right thing to do for you today? And to just support the child in learning how to move those emotions through. And all of these, I think, Danielle, I just, I meant to say this before, but we were talking about like our patience level and our ability to, <laughs> yeah. to deal in the moment. All of this is on the foundation of a parent who's taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. So you taking care of you, keeping your batteries charged, getting enough sleep, getting enough adult time, you know, having date night with your spouse, somehow being able to, you know, get some childcare and get respite when you need it. Are you getting enough exercise? Like looking at all those aspects of your life and are you filling your cup up enough that you can have patience for your, your children? Because mm -hmm. it's even more critical in this case. I think getting respite time, getting adult time and figuring out how to do that because you can run yourself into the ground being a sole caregiver of these children. And Absolutely. it just, you know, it'll get to the place where you have nothing left. And that's one of the worst places you can be because there's nothing to help you except for mm -hmm. getting a break and yeah. taking care of yourself. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think it's also really helpful though to have, I don't know, when I was struggling the most, it was because I didn't know what to do. I didn't have a response, a set of responses that I could grab onto somewhere in my brain um, to kind of throw out when one of my kids was struggling very much and I was low resource um, and you know having things like you've been saying Debbie like the the kind of the go-to list <laughs> I would have um, as an autistic adult sometimes my uh, my ability to pull information from my brain right when I need it is not all the way there. Um, and I use a lot of visual schedules and visual reminders and cues to help me kind of prompt me on what to do in certain circumstances. And so once we had a set of um, interventions for my ADHD or that kind of worked or that I could pull from, I made a, like a, a visual list, like little stick figure drawings of, okay, you know, so I can imagine like having a little hand-drawn poster up somewhere that's like, you know, stick figures throwing the balloons at the wall, stick figures, you know, drawing with a crayon. Because um, I think even if, I mean, and I completely agree, obviously, that you should be eating and sleeping and making sure you took a shower and just doing the basics to make sure you're okay. But even on a low resource day, if you can have sort of a, a set of 
what should I be doing that's accessible to you in some way, either through a list or visual or, you know, it can really help you figure out what to do in the moment because sometimes, you know, you want to help, but you just can't think. <laughs> that was my experience anyway. So yeah, so I, I honestly, it's just so great to have some go-to ideas and also some more resources that people can find. I know I'll, you know, put your website and stuff in the, in the link below. And so people can go and find, you know, more specific ideas for, for what exactly they need. So, well, and that's why I love parenting classes so much. (laughs) I mean, I love parent. I, you know, I, when I was first starting my business, I would take other parenting classes just to see what's going on because it's really fun. Like there, to me, there's no competition in this. Like you're going to learn something from everybody that you, you take classes from and, and you don't have to agree with everything. You can just pick and choose the things that you Mm -hmm. feel like are the right thing for your family. And getting those resources. And I love the way that you do it with the visuals. I need and, the visual prompt. Yeah. That's yeah, just me. But it I, does have, help. I have worksheets and handouts in the classes. Oh yeah. Take them home and put them on the refrigerator or mm-hmm. come up in the bathroom. And, you know, cause you have to study these things and you have to be prepared. Like, okay, this is what my kid does, but I never know what to do in the moment. And, you know, I have some ideas where the kids will be out in the backyard and I'll be like, what was that idea? And it's, I know it's in on the fridge. So I'll run in there and I'll look at it and I'll find it and I'll go back out there and I'll go, I love the way you guys are all playing so nicely together. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I just didn't know to say that, you, you know, whatever. And I, you know, so you have to, to me, I, you have to practice it in you order to learn it. Absolutely. It. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not going to come fluidly until you no. practice it a lot. Right. So, no. and I think keeping, yes, that's, I mean, I read three or four parenting books a month, the whole time when I started teaching and when I was parenting actively, when my kids were young. And it was just to keep me going and it just to keep those ideas flowing. And when the pandemic started, I did a half an hour positive parenting class every day, Monday through Friday, and had usually about 80 people from around the world. And every day people would show up and it wasn't even that it was a specific topic that they wanted. It's just that daily shot of something new, being inspired, being with other parents. We're all Mm -hmm. in this together. And I think that's one of the biggest benefits of a parenting class as well as getting there and realizing I'm not alone. I'm not the yes. only one experiencing this. Mm-hmm. Other people are. And, and sometimes other people are worse and that makes me feel better. <laughs> I hate to say it, but I totally understand. Yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a, a last question for you from, from okay. the peanut gallery. <laughs> um, <laughs> That a couple of folks mentioned having trouble co-parenting after like a separation or a divorce or a change in parenting. And so sometimes one parent has one approach to a challenging behavior, like say um, defiance again, even, um, and the other parent has a different approach and parents just didn't know what to do with that. It was often, and I'll be honest, at least with the people who responded to my, (laughs) to my emails, it was, you know, usually the mother asking and saying the father is approaching this behavior differently or setting different expectations for this behavior than I am at home. And the kid is uh, expressing some confusion or, or behaviors are worsening because of that. So what can we do? How can we solve this? Do you have any advice for that situation? Yes. This is a matter of degree, right? Mm -hmm. So absolutely. If it's super serious, you may need court help, right? Mm -hmm. Or, Or lawyers or whatever. If it's differences in parenting style. And yes, I know it's triggering. And yes, I know I wish we could all be on the same page. Once you're separated and divorced, you've lost control of what's going on at the other house. And so when you're thinking about 
what am, how can I do this? The idea to me comes best from a, there was a book called mom's house, dad's house. And I always think about that when I start thinking about this, this prospect and it's, this is how it happens at mom's house. And this is how it happens at dad's house. And that kids learn the rules in one house and the rules in the other house. And so what's going on at the other house doesn't undermine us unless we allow it to. Okay. So if, a, if the other parent is doing something in a way that is not how you do it, when they come over and they say, well, dad does that. And I'm using it because that's the pronoun that you used. Yes. Mom is saying it. Um, you know, dad does that instead of being like, oh, I can't do it. You know, I'm, uh, he's undermining me and I can't blah, blah. It's kind of go, that's going to a victim place. It's to go great. That's how it is at your dad's house. That's how you do it at your house, at your dad's house. When you're here, this is how we do things. Mm -hmm. And, and I'll give you a personal example of this because I was divorced from my kid's dad when they were younger and we had quite different parenting styles. And and when I got into the positive parenting, you know, I stopped spanking my kids. So I don't believe in spanking. And I, and I teach how to not spank your kids. Like here's all the things you can do instead. So you don't have to spank. Well, he didn't agree with that. And so, and he didn't spank them a lot, but there was one or two times. And I distinctly remember once they came home and they're like, mom, dad spanked us. And they totally thought I was going to get mad and yell at him and, you know, Mm -hmm. cause a big scene, but I did it because I understand I can't control what he's doing over there. Right. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the type of relationship where I could just call him up and say, Hey, don't hit these kids. Cause that would have just started a whole big thing. So instead they're like, mom, dad spanked us. And I was like, really? what did you do? <laughs> and they go, nothing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he spanked you and you don't do anything. That's awful. And, and they're like, well, <laughs> maybe we were running around in the carts in Costco. And I'm like, oh, and so he spanked you. And I go, so what did you learn? And they go, nothing. And I said, good. And I left it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I didn't undermine him. I didn't say, oh, that's bad. Like, you know, when you're co-parenting, if you can take the high road, it's going to be better for your kids. Mm-hmm. So even when the other person is completely undermining you and completely bad mouthing you, the, the highest form of for your children is to not play at that level, is mm-hmm. to always take the high road to refrain from, from playing, you know, in the gutter like that. And, and it comes back to you. It might be years, you know, when they're little, they're very impressionable. You know, a lot of times they would come back and say, you know, dad says you're stealing all this money and dad, da, da, da. and I just didn't play those games with them. It's like, yeah, that's what your dad thinks, whatever. Like, I just didn't get into it. It's like not appropriate to have those conversations. And so even if they're being had at the other house, I don't refute them over here. When they got old enough, they saw the truth. They could mm-hmm. process. They understood what, what was happening. I never had to defend what I was doing. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you. That's really helpful. <laughs> <laughs> you can see I'm very passionate about this. No, that's good. I, I, you know, I was caught empowered. up. Yeah, stay <laughs> empowered. Like, don't let what's going on over there affect you. Mm-hmm. You be the parent you want to be in your house. Yes. And if they're doing something else over there, kids are super super easy to adapt to this is how it is here. This is how it is there. Debbie, thank you so much for joining us today. It was so great to learn all of this. Can you tell me a little bit more, where can folks find out more about positive parenting and find out more about you? Yes. Thank you. Uh, Positiveparenting.com. It's a really easy (laughs) URL. (laughs) Come to my website. I have classes. I have master classes, workshops, 
ways to find me. I also have a podcast. It's Positive Parenting Pep Talks. So anywhere that you get your podcasts, you can find that. It's a daily three to five minute pep talk on everything you can imagine. So I put a new one out every day. So it's a quick blast of some kind of parenting tip. Today was a family mission statement. So whatever, every day you can listen to, it just takes three to five minutes and you can listen to that. And Instagram, I'm at Positive Parenting Debbie. And I put different videos up and do different stuff there as well. So those are the, probably the three main ways to find me. Awesome. I'll put all those links down below. So please check them out. That podcast sounds like a really good way to start your morning. Just get going. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much. It was so great to learn from you today. Well, thank you, Danielle. It's been a pleasure talking to you and thank you for the work you do with the parents. They need, they need you. (laughs) We all need help. We all do. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Neurodiverging today. Please check out the show notes below to find more about Debbie Godfrey and learn more about her positive parenting classes. Thank you to my patrons for supporting this episode. If you're not a patron yet, come check us out at patreon.com slash neurodiverging link in show notes and pledge a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars a month to support this podcast and get some cool behind the scenes perks. Speaking of Patreon, I want to give a very, very warm shout out to Clara, Zach, Teresa L., Sarah, Marty, Kristen, Galactic Faye, Teresa B., Claire, and David for supporting this podcast. Thank you so much for supporting this episode of Neurodiverging. Share the podcast with your friends if you haven't yet, and I'll look forward to seeing you in the next one. Please remember, we are all in this together.